It's that time. Welcome to the Time to Man Up podcast. And here's your host, Sean Hess. Well, men, we are glad to have you for this episode of the Time to Man Up podcast. If you knew all the crazy things that have been going on over the last couple days, clearly something is about to happen that Satan is trying to keep from happening. And that means that we know we're in the right place, even when we don't understand it. But today we are going to cover a sensitive issue for men. Do I have your attention now, right? Your mind has already gone in a number of directions, but probably not the direction that we're headed in today. It's not something that men often talk about. Some men might even consider it to be a little bit girly. Perhaps some men are afraid of the vulnerability that it requires. The sensitive issue that we are going to address today is worship. Men, stay with us. Don't check out. We are about to throw some boulders. We will be looking at both individual and corporate worship. We need men willing to set an example for future generations of worshipers. King David was a warrior but he was also a musician, a songwriter, and a worshiper. King David set an example for every man to follow when it comes to worship. He held nothing back, which is one of the greatest barriers for men when it comes to corporate worship. They can sing in the shower, they can sing in the car, but when it comes to corporate worship, we often find them either lip-syncing or just standing like a statue. My goal today is to challenge men to become the worshipers that God desires them to be, to put aside their pride and worship God with all they have. To accomplish this, I called a friend. My guest on this episode of the Time to Man Up podcast has not been a friend for long, but we bonded quickly when we met. Some of our bond was forged through the pain both of us had experienced in the ministry. Some of our bond was formed on the golf course. Yeah, we have a lot of stories from the, from the time on the golf course. We'll hold that. But our greatest bond is our love for God, especially when it comes to worship. My guest today is Dave Phillips. Dave, welcome to the Time to Man Up podcast. Thanks, Sean. Honored to be here, man. Well, it is great to have you with us, and we've been waiting for this. We've been excited to be able to do this. Dave served in worship ministry for 16 years. And even after he left his last ministry, he has continued to do that in the church that I served. And he is just a gifted worship leader who has a sincere heart for God. When he first came to the church, he and his wife were dealing with some deep hurt from their previous ministry. My wife and I were also dealing with some deep hurt from our present ministry. But we will save that for another episode of the podcast when Dave will be back with us. I was blessed to be there for Dave, and I was blessed to have him there for me because he understood what I was going through. He has a lot to offer us when it comes to worship. Dave, my brother from another mother, what I want is if you could share just a, that journey that God brought you on to get you to the place of becoming a worship leader. Sure thing, Sean. Before that, I want to represent Man Up t-shirt, got the Hessens. Fruit Loop candle. Guys, essence go out and get the this stuff. Like, yeah, man, this stuff is good. It's one of my favorite t-shirts. But support this guy, man. Love what you're doing, Sean. So glad to be here. Yeah, um, like you said, man, I, I mean, I was named after King David. Um, so God had a plan for me before I ever knew. And I grew up in a church home and in a musical family for the most part. Uh, my mom sang, sister sang, plays piano really well. Brother sings, plays guitar. My dad plays the radio. That's about all. Uh, mm -hmm. But he has a worshiper's heart. Um, didn't have the greatest voice, but he didn't care. He would belt it out, have his hands up, and just praising his Savior. And uh, awesome. so I had great examples to follow. Um, but as musically, I would say it started in junior high school. And uh, started playing the clarinet in band uh, because chicks dig the clarinet. Had nothing to do with the fact that my older brother had already played it and we had one in the house. No, it's because chicks dig the clarinet. 
so I was doing band, regular band, jazz band, marching band, all that fun stuff. Um, you know, reading notes on a page and learned how to read music and uh, got decent at it. Um, you know, but it was one of those things, how far can you really go with a clarinet? What are you going to do with it, right. with your life? Um, I realized that, but God had a different plan. So the church we were going to, um, they were making the transition from from traditional to contemporary worship. And uh, they had a band that consisted of a piano player and a soprano sax. And both oh, of these wow. guys were professional musicians. And uh, wow. so very eclectic, different band than you've ever heard. Uh, the soprano sax player, he said, hey, Dave, bring your clarinet. Let's let's play. And so I show up to practice and I'm looking at the music he's got. and It's got no notes. It's just chords. And I had never dealt with that before. I'm like, well, what, what am I supposed to play? When am I supposed to play? Uh, there's no direction here. He's like, yeah, we're free to do whatever we want. Right. You know, you know the key of G, you know all the notes. That's what you're going to play. We're going to make this up as we go. Okay. So it was something brand new for me. And it opened up my mind that there's so much more musically out there um, where I'm not stuck to something that someone else has written. And uh, so that was really neat. I felt God kind of calling me further. Again, how much, how far am I going to go with clarinet in my life? Um, and so when I got into the youth group, uh, we had a brand new youth minister come in and he started doing worship with the youth group and he was terrible. <laughs> he had no rhythm whatsoever. Um, he was trying to strum chords and sing and play all at the same time. Um, and he just had, he had no rhythm. He could play the chords, he could sing. He had no rhythm and rhythm was something that came naturally to me. So anytime I was at his house. I just picked up his guitar, grabbed a chord sheet, and started learning, just teaching myself how to play. And so that's where it began. And so I started playing for the youth band. And that youth group grew crazy from like four kids to, by the time I was out of there, close to 100 kids. That's awesome. And other members were joining. They were just picking up instruments. And a lot of times, not always for the correct reasons. Uh, a lot of times it's just because, hey, chicks chicks will dig this, or it's cool to play so bass. They, so they picked up a clarinet? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't add that, sadly. But, Terry yeah, Crews just... might argue that it's a flute. <laughs> <laughs> I might agree. But, you know, here, kids were just picking up drums and, and learning how to play. And um, it became something really cool. Yeah. Um, and these kids that were doing it maybe for the wrong reason – here they were at church like three times a week hearing wow. the message of God, hearing the gospel. Yeah. And so these, it, it, it's such a pivotal time in our lives and it changed all of our lives. And so I, almost every one of those guys are still doing worship in some way in their That's current amazing. churches spread throughout the U S I mean, it, it's so cool to see what God did. So yeah, we, we had the youth worship band basically taking songs from big church and just playing them twice as fast and a lot louder added drums to it um but it, i found a passion there uh, really loved it connected to it and felt like i could truly worship god and so uh, man it was it was just neat to watch that happen um and so then i go off to college and continue to lead worship there um in all the different ministries i was a part of so at college you know we had uh, we had worship at a coffee house, this new thing we were trying to do to get unbelievers in there. And uh, so continued to lead worship there, got involved with uh, one of my professors. He had, uh, and he still does, Global Youth Ministry is his his ministry. And he's actually uh, not too far from you. He's in Georgia, I believe now. But okay, um, shout out to Roger Glidewell. And so I got involved mm -hmm. with him. Yeah. And here we were going to all, I mean, we went to Israel, Brazil, all over the U.S. That's amazing. Um, teaching youth and, uh, and leading worship with them. And so God continued to just grow my, my passion for, for worship. Um, I was in school college for, for youth ministry. That's what I thought I wanted to do about halfway through it. I realized I didn't have patience for kids, <laughs> completely wrong field for me. Um, but it was too late to change at that point. I would have been in college for another, you know, four years, whatever it would have been. So I just right. went ahead and got my youth ministry degree um, 
but at the same time, God was building a passion for worship in my life. Um, and so after college, continued to do, do uh, worship at the school there. Um, just kind of stuck around hoping to meet my wife where girls are. Um, God had another plan. <laughs> he sure did. I had stayed in touch with my youth minister, and um, that was back in Virginia. He had moved to, to uh, Troy, Ohio to help start up a church. And uh, I had come up here a few times and, and led worship for him, um, done some special events, stayed in touch, but it was a, it was a small town. There was no one my age in that church. So it was off the radar, ended up losing my job. And they just called me up and said, Hey, heard you lost your job. If you don't mind, we're just going to come pick you up. We need a worship leader. So they came, grabbed all my stuff, kidnapped me, brought me up. <laughs> and, uh, I started leading worship at their church. And it was one of those decisions that I, I had to come to terms with because I thought, man, if I move up there, I'm just destined to be single the rest of my life. And if that's what God's got for me, I got to be okay with it. <laughs> Three months later, I get set up on a blind date with my wife and the rest is history. Stayed at that church for 16 years leading worship. And uh, again, just I love it. Uh, it's what I connect with. Um, when I left that church, wasn't sure what we were going to do. Ended up at, at Grace Baptist, uh, part of your ministry. And uh, yeah, been there ever since, three and a half years now. And uh, just connected with you, your preaching, and the worship style that was there. It was, it was legit. It was genuine. And uh, it was for me. So, man, I've pretty much been doing this for more than half my life, which is crazy to say. Yeah, now I think isn't your son involved in the worship team now? He is. He uh, he's picked up drums. He's very good at yeah. it. Yeah, and then uh, that's now nice. he's that's awesome. He's helping out Sam with uh, online uh, the sound, the mix as well. So he's learning okay. that aspect that's of awesome. it as well. So love it. Yeah. So you mentioned when you were talking about your church and when you came on to start with worship, they were going through a transition from traditional to contemporary. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Do you remember much about that? Because mm -hmm. that tends to be one of the most difficult things a church goes through yeah. is that transition from the traditional way of doing things to a more contemporary style. Because most churches I grew up in had the organ and the piano. Yep. And that's what you used. And you better not have any instrument. Now, I played the trumpet. <laughs> that was not a chick magnet. and uh, But I remember some of my special musics in church on Sunday night, they were pretty lame. I think one mm -hmm. time maybe I played a scale. <laughs> but when you talk about that transition, what was that like as a younger person watching it? What was that transition like from traditional to contemporary? Yeah, so you're right. It, it is a, that transition is a struggle. And I feel like I've been a part of a lot of churches going through that transition. So a little okay. further back, actually, back in St. Louis, um, back before I got involved, um, we were a part of a church that was very traditional. Same thing. Piano, organ. I hated it. Um, it was not, you know, as a kid, you don't understand those words. Um, and it, right. it just doesn't, it's not your style of music either. It's just, it's very awkward. Um and so we actually split off and started a new church and it was contemporary worship. And that's really when contemporary worship was just beginning anyway, back in the eighties. And so here we were setting up at a school every single Sunday, setting up the entire church, tearing down afterwards. Um, but making that transition to contemporary worship. Um, and it, it's different now, you know, worship now is completely different from what it was back then, but it was, it was words I can understand and connect with. And God became so much bigger to me. He became relational. And uh, then, yeah, when we moved to Virginia, I felt like we took steps backward. You know, we joined another traditional church. Like, Man, I thought we were done with this. Um, and so our family was actually the first family as they were making that transition. We were the first family in that church to ever clap our hands. Uh, to a okay. song during worship and people were looking at us like you guys are nuts. <laughs> oh, you feel so odd when you, when you're that guy doing that. Yeah. Here we are yeah. in the front row, my whole family. And you know, 
Lord, I lift your name on high. <laughs> you know, I'm getting into it. Oh, breaking old school now. Raising our hands <laughs> up, and, and people thought we were nuts. Um, but it, God put us there in a, for a reason, to help push that church, to help them along. And now, man, you see that church now. They're, it's huge, number one. But two, that's awesome. I think they have three contemporary services. They still hold on to one traditional service as well. But Wow. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's a struggle. Um, and I, even in college, I got, I got picked up by this old Tennessee backwoods, uh, country church that wanted to make that transition. Brand new pastor. He's uh-huh. like, Hey, I'm going to bring you in. We're going to change <laughs> oh this goodness. worship up. I lasted six You've months. Done it multiple they, times. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, we lasted six months before they kicked us both out. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, um, you know, the spirit's got to be there to move, to help that transition happen. Cause there, there's a lot of people that resist it. Um, well, and w- what it felt like to me, Dave, is that, cause you kind of talked to this a little bit when I was growing up. And one of my main reasons for kind of disconnecting from the church is I didn't feel that it spoke my language mm-hmm. and whether that was the reading from the King James yep. Or whether that was the 100% hymns only, but it just, it, 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 it didn't touch my heart. It didn't. And that's not saying that what they did was wrong mm-hmm. by no means is that I think that's one problem that we have is that there's a side that believes in the hymns and they can sometimes put down the other side of the equation and say, and find out every reason it's wrong. Well, I just want to say from the other side of the equation I do not look at hymns as wrong. They're, they're good songs. Mm-hmm. I think we have to be realistic about some of them, but it just didn't communicate in my language. Yep. And so I, I related it to a church that was dead Yes. and my church sang hymns. Everybody knew the words and they would <laughs> sing verse one, two, five, and six. And, and, and they all knew that we were going to sing one, two, five, and six. But the words became so familiar and even feeling very old school words, I just didn't connect. And so I found myself when it came to church and worship, I didn't have a place. And that was that was a tough thing to really until I went to college and all of a sudden I saw more of it. It kind of began to to touch me more. So you had said that about just the the verbiage and stuff. And, and I think that is true that. A lot of people are in the church, and sometimes they just don't connect with it. Well, and I always and had, that's also, I, yeah. I had trouble with traditions just in general. Um, mm-hmm. I have no problem with traditions when there's a reason for them, but they like the church couldn't explain why we did the things we did, and I couldn't understand that as a kid. Like, why do I dress up on Sunday only? Like, God knows who I am. He knows that this is not how I normally dress. You know. Right. It didn't feel real to me. It felt fake. It felt like we were putting on a show. And in some ways, oftentimes that traditional music, it felt like we weren't supposed to have any joy in it whatsoever. This is for God only and not right. for me. And so, and so it, it did. It felt like a show like we're putting, we're putting on our Sunday best and we're going to sing these songs for him. It's not for us. We don't get any joy. So it's kind of a dirge. Um, and it, yeah, it didn't connect with me at all. So I was always that and, and, that rebel that was fighting those traditions, going, "Why are we doing right, this? Let's let's right. you know, let's wear shorts. Let's." Uh, so I was always pushing those boundaries, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, and and we'll talk about later about worshiping in spirit and truth. We'll mm. get to that, but I feel that the churches I was in early in my time were very good at worshiping in truth. Mm very bad at worshiping in spirit. And uh, that is why it just felt like I walked away with really not a lot from that. And again, it's not saying any of that was wrong or bad. I want to be clear on that. But for me, it just wasn't what was drawing me into worship. And so I want to read. So the heart of worship is a song that's familiar. It's so funny, Dave, when we talk about old songs, because now like the heart of worship has become an old song <laughs> yeah. where it's not that old, really. I'm, I mean, I'm still okay bringing shout to the Lord back sometimes, mm-hmm. but it seems like those songs were like 400 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but they weren't. But the heart of worship says this, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. 
and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you and it's all about you, Jesus. Too often believers make worship more about themselves than about God. And worship is all about God. We had a men's retreat, Dave, that one time uh, we were at this camp and we were sharing it with a college group that was there. And in big words, they had the words, it's all about you. And my senior pastor got up at the beginning of our first session. They had already had their first session. And he says, guys, this is the problem with the younger generation. They think that it's all about them. And in my mind, I'm dying because I'm like, ah, no, that's not what they're saying. (laughs) So after the first session, I went up and talked to him and I said, hey, I just want you to know that's a worship song. And what it's talking about, it's all about Jesus. He felt horrible. I mean, he felt horrible. But when we think about this, we do tend to make worship about us. I didn't like the music today. I didn't like how fast or how slow the music. And and I'm just going to tell you, man, we got to get rid of that. Yeah. Because that is ludicrous when we come to worship and we think it's actually about us. Do we sometimes on Sunday sing a song I really don't care for? A hundred percent, yes. Yeah. But the Bible says that we sing it as to the Lord. Let's let's not think that, well, I don't like this song, so I'm going to sit this one out. Sing it. Because it's who we're singing it to. And Warren Wearsby, he gives a definition. So, uh, he did a book called Real Worship, and and why I like this book is that he's not a worship leader that wrote it. And because I, I feel that it's one thing for worship leaders to say these things, but when you got a guy that's a senior pastor that recognizes the importance of worship, when he comes in and says that, man, I'm listening to that. And he says, worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotion, will, and body to what God is and says and does. This response has its mystical side, that scares some of us, (laughs) in subjective experience, and its practical side in objective obedience to God's revealed will. Worship is a loving response that is balanced by fear of the Lord, and it is a deepening response as the believer comes to know God better. Everyone has their own opinion of what worship should look like. But the one thing I love to think about, Dave, is that it is about an audience of one. There was one Sunday where I just put a chair up there and I was like, let's get everything off the stage and let's just put a chair up there and let's focus on that. It was weird when I did it and it felt awkward. And as the senior pastor, I was sitting down with the people feeling really weird and were they going to get rid of me because of it? But I think that's the perspective that we need to bring into the worship service is this is about God. And every aspect of our worship service should be about God because he's the only one that's worthy of our worship with that. So can can you share a little bit about just kind of like when you're putting together a, a, a service, Dave, what are some things that you think of? And just know, man, remember, you're on my podcast. I might go a little off off task sometimes, <laughs> so just be ready for it. But but talk to me a little bit about, because I feel I'm a pretty good person at putting together a worship service, because in my time in Indianapolis, and I'll give a shout out to Darren Struble, who is my worship leader there, man, he really taught me how to worship. I mean, I really appreciated his time there. And, and I think that was my transition in worship was my time in Indianapolis right out of seminary where it really started to become personal. But he would sometimes spend an entire day in the auditorium. And I would think in my mind, well, that's a waste of time. And then one day I went in and sat and watched the process. I was 100% on board. I saw how he worked through it. And, and worship is a journey. Mm. And, and, and it's a journey of bringing somebody who is just arguing with their spouse, smacking their kids on the back of the head to get them straightened out for church. They walk through the golden doors of the church and all of a sudden, oh, 
you know, the angels sing. And now we have to get them to a place where they can worship God. How do you do that? How do you put together a service like that? Wow. So process is right. It is a process. Um, and man, you, you hit it right on the head there. It's a journey. It, we have to think through how do we take our people that are walking through those doors, their hearts are not ready to worship. We've yeah. been there. We practiced on Wednesday. Then we're, we've already been there for two hours practicing that morning. Our hearts are ready to worship. We've been worshiping. And so we can't forget that our people are walking into that building. They're not ready for that. We just start straight into uh, worship. It's like drinking for, from a fire hose for them. Because you're right. They're coming through those doors, and, and that's my family included. You know, every Sunday morning, my, my wife is a single wife, you know, single mother, getting the kids ready, bringing them to, to church. And who knows what happened during that process at home, in the car. And yeah, you're right. They're fighting. They're upset with their spouse, whatever it is, you know, the job situation. They're coming in with so much junk, so much heaviness. They're not ready to worship. And, and so, yeah, we have to take them from a journey of, hey, yeah, number one, let's not walk into this building and pretend like we're all perfect, righteous people. We're not. Right. And so right. for one, it's being real for us, starting there and saying, hey, welcome. If you're a sinner, you're in the right place because I am too. And so it's connecting uh, on that level first and saying, hey, as we walk through this journey of worship today, I hope that we can lay down our burdens, whatever it is you walk through those doors with, whatever junk is in your life. Let's give that to God today. Let's lay it at his feet. And then let's look at who we are. Let's look at who God is. And it's a response. In response, let's worship him today. And practically, it starts off very fluffy. You know, we don't start off with our, our most in-depth uh, song um, with, with tons of truth in it. And a lot of times it's a fluffy right. song. It's an upbeat, um, fun song. Let's kind of get into it. Uh, but we work our way into, and usually we have one song that we'll build, that I'm building the set around. Hey, this is kind of the apex song. Mm -hmm. This song right here. Yeah causes my heart to fall down and worship, but we can't start with that. And so, yeah, let's build up to it. Let's lead up to it. And, and then, yeah, it's also trying to limit distractions because we know one little distraction can, my eyes are all of a sudden on that. And, right, and, right. and that's for our people as well. And so, yeah, our job of trying to come along that journey as well as limiting distractions and point them constantly towards God, it's, it's a tough task. And it's not one that we can put on ourselves either. I mean, the Holy Spirit's got to meet us there. Uh, we can be prepared as prepared as possible, but things are going to go wrong. Um, you know, our prayer every Sunday morning is God, come, come and move. No matter what happens, limit those distractions for us. And may we just see more of you because our only response is to fall down and worship them. And so... Right. That's my heart every Sunday. Um, and and it, part of it is trying to show our people who we are and who God is. And that juxta, juxta, juxtaposition, if I can say it, there, <laughs> there's, such, there's such a divide between who we are. We have nothing to offer. There's nothing good in us. Right, right. And, and here we are. This is nothing more than our offering to you, Jesus our savior for what you have done for me in in the greatest transaction of all times you know you gave your life you spilled your blood for this flawed sinful broken human being you bought me the way i am you didn't say hey clean yourself up and then i'll purchase you no you purchased me who i am the way i am and there's no receipt <laughs> What did he get in return? I mean, he got me. That, that, I got, I benefited greatly from that. You know, you've benefited greatly from that. We have eternal life. We have a relationship with our creator, with our savior. 
how awesome is that? How beautiful is he? But what did he get from us? <laughs> he got dirty, broken people. And yet those right, are the very right. people that he chooses to use. And, uh, and so, man, it, it, it's a beautiful picture. And trying to pack all that into one service is, is every Sunday is not easy. But that is the, that, that's the journey we try to take. Yeah, they, I think I think I could generalize in this way a little bit is that it feels like most of the negativity that comes where church is made about an individual comes from the people that mm. should be mature enough in their faith that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and it's the rough around the edges people that they're just happy to be there. They don't care whether they're singing a hymn or contemporary worship, they are just glad to be there. And I think that there's a reason why Jesus loved to meet with prostitutes and tax collectors mm. because they loved what he was offering. And the people that were really smart, mm. like the Pharisees and Sadducees and should have known better, they were too busy complicating life and questioning him. Mm. And I think that that can be in the church as we, we get too many Pharisees and Sadducees rather than just worshipers that just come and you say, God, this is all I have to give you this week. It's been a tough week. I'm, I'm going to give it to you. Or you come in energized and you're like, I got a lot to give you. This has been a good week, but we all just lay it down together before him. I, I've told people this, the two most important people when it comes to worship are the audio and video people. Mm -hmm. Because I am amazed how many times that those words don't change in time. Mm -hmm. In my mind, it gets me off mm -hmm. because I'm like, oh, you didn't change in time. And I don't know those words. Now I'm just the, 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 the dork that will just sing out loud anyway. And, and, and Dave and other people that are on our stage, they know I sing loud and I'll sing the wrong words mm -hmm. because sometimes I got my eyes closed and I'm worshiping and I go off in my own land and I start just making up words and I got like, <laughs> Oh, come back to Jesus now. Come back. But those audio visual guys, when they mess up, everybody knows. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for those guys because there's not always a lot of grace that's shown in that. If I mess up in my sermon, nobody knows I messed up sometimes, but everybody knows if they mess up, if a mic doesn't come on in time, and so if you are an audio visual guy and you're listening to this, thank you so much because you allow us to do what we do on Sundays with worship and with preaching. And it's just, we are so grateful for that. And there are the unsung now, Dave, heroes too. I mean, you don't, spot on. I mean, when, when things go well and they've done their job properly, no one notices them. But when yeah. things go wrong, that's when you know that they're there <laughs> and that's when you're focused on them. And you're right. Those guys are uh, worth their weight in gold. Um, I, I was going to take a little shot at you as a Kansas City guy <laughs> because I was going to say, yeah, referees should be seen and not heard. <laughs> but I won't show my bitterness and go there with you. <laughs> that sounds like a Bengals fan. I'm a Bengals fan. fan. Yeah, exactly. He's a Chiefs fan. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as a worshiper, Dave, I grew up and – I had no real example of what it was to worship in spirit. And so I really didn't get it. And during my time in Indianapolis, uh, we had a guy, a family that moved into the church. And when they came to church, he was raising his hands. He was celebrating God. And I was just like, he was in my aisle. And I looked down and I was like, I want some of that. That is that's what I want because when I watch a football game, that's what I give them. Yeah. When I'm excited about something, that's what I give them. And then I come to church and it's like this. Yeah. And, and what my struggle was always, why do I not give to God? Mm. What I give to my favorite sports team or when I get that deal at the store, whatever it is, why do I not give that to God? Well, this guy came in and was raising his hands and he rocked my world as I was watching. I was like, dude, I want to do that. Cause I felt the leading to do it, but I was afraid to do it. I'm on staff. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Cause I saw the looks he would get. And after a few months, he stopped putting his hands down and I went up to him and I'm like, Hey man, why don't you lift your hands up anymore? He goes, well, I felt people were looking at me and I didn't want to make it about me. 
And I felt that there were people, and I respect that, but that's ludicrous yep. that, that that's true. And I'm like, when he said that to me, I was disappointed in myself, in my church, because I said, this shouldn't happen because I wanted to raise my hands. And so the following week I raised my hands and I was just, I was scared to death. I mean, I'll get up and preach in front of thousands of people and I'm cool, but I was raising my hands and I sat up at the front. So everybody was going to see me. I'm on staff. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. And I'm just raising my hands. So at first, man, it was, I felt the glares. It felt odd, but what it did is it became a part of who I was as a worshiper then. Yeah. And it transformed my worship. Something happened to me. And I can say that I have never been the same since that Sunday when I forcibly raised my hands, but it changed. And so I want to read a statement to you. And then I want, I want your thoughts on the statement, because this is probably in the top 10 statements that I've ever read from a book. This is one that just resonates with me. And, and I love it because it's where I like to live my life, but it can be a little crazy. Warren Wearsby in his book, Real Worship, says this. Now check this out, fellas. The church once lived on the dangerous but exciting edge of miracle. Today, the church has both feet planted firmly on the ground and doesn't dare to adventure out where the bushes burn. Guys, that's about when Moses, Jesus spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And he says to him, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. That was just a field where probably animals pooped and stuff. But at that moment, because Jesus was there, it was holy ground. Guys, when, I mean, Dave and I, the church I was at with Dave, it was a multi-purpose room. There were people that would get sweaty playing basketball. Awana games went on in that place. But on Sunday morning, it became holy ground. But when you hear that statement again, I'll read it again. The church once lived on the dangerous but exciting edge of miracle. Today, the church has both feet planted firmly on the ground and doesn't dare to venture out where the bushes burn. What are your thoughts on that statement? <laughs> Man, that one. That one hits home. Um, that was always one of the passages that I would use to help bring our people into worship. In fact, used to be every time I did worship, my shoes were off um, because of that. And it was to help our people realize that, hey, this is not something that we just come in and sing some fluffy songs and then we go home. No, this is, we're meeting with God. God is here in this place. And I, I want people to realize that. So the that. truth comes yeah. out. The truth comes out. That's why you took off your shoes. It was. Uh, hippie Dave. That's a good reason. I mean, that was, that was, a good reason. that was my reasoning behind it. Um, and it, yeah. and of course I didn't, I didn't say that every week. So at some point people just thought I was some hippie dude, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but no, that was, that was truly my thought process going into worship every single time is God is here. This is this is not to be taken lightly. Um, same thing as communion. I mean, we, we take communion often enough that sometimes we just gloss over it, but man, God right. has, God has demanded everything from us, our all. He purchased not just the good things of us, um, which there is none by the way, but he purchased all of us. And I mean, even Jesus said that in the end, the Father is looking for true worshipers in spirit and truth. And so we've got to, <laughs> that's obvious that he takes it seriously, and we should too. Unfortunately, we also like safe and, safe and comfortable. Um, I mean, it's, you're right. It, it is uncomfortable to push yourself past your normal just, you know, worshiping like this, kind of bobbing my head, but to actually get out there with your full body and, worship him hands raised um it is it's scary um but god doesn't call us to easy things um, he almost always calls us to something that is difficult beyond our capabilities he asks us to take faith a, a step in faith and and so it's the battle of faith and fear you know am i am i going to worship in fear and just and and worry about what other people are going to think and man, I fought that better.
a long time in my life before I finally just realized, you know what, this is, again, the audience is one person. I shouldn't care what these people think. Um, but that's a hard mental process to go through and to get to that point, which is part of the reason that we do some of the things that we do in worship. We dim the lights. It's not because we want it to, to be a concert or, or any of that. It's we're trying to limit distractions. If, if we can make it darker to where I'm not paying attention to what the person next to me is doing, hopefully it's going to help our people to worship. I mean, my goal every single Sunday is to get men to worship. That's that's ultimately that that's who I'm focused on. If I can get the men to worship, if I can help them to see who God is and to worship, their family's going to follow. Um, and I want the guys that never want to be heard, um, will only sing in the shower or in the car. I want them to be crying out to God. And so how do we do that? Obviously, if, if it's not loud enough, they're not going to, they don't want to be heard. Uh, if they don't think they have, they have a good voice, we've got to raise that, that sound level up to a, uh, an acceptable level where they can actually sing out and not feel like the person next to them is going to hear them and be focused on them. Um, so, you know, we even try to limit those distractions just to help our people branch out, to step out in faith and to worship. Again, God has purchased every bit of us, and he's demanding our all in worship, and he's worthy of our all. We should be giving that back to him. And so um, it is. It's a tough battle. It's a mental battle every single Sunday for, for everybody to get out of their comfort zone, to get out of the boat, you know, and to trust Jesus. But God is going to meet you there, just like he said. When you force yourself to do that, it changes you. God's going to meet you, and your worship's going to be different. I mean, worship should involve, and we, we look at scriptures, it should involve raising hands, kneeling down, bowing, dare I say dancing. I mean, I mean, David, King David, danced with nothing but a linen ephod. Um, I'm not going to go that far. That might be a little distracting as well. Um, but man, our worship is a personal thing. It should be between us and God, and we shouldn't care what anybody else thinks, says, or is doing, because everybody's worship looks different. And so, man, it, it is. It's trying to constantly push our people, and that even includes the people on stage, um, because uh, I, I'm always trying to push our musicians, hey, get free in your worship. Push yourself in your own worship, because... The congregation's never going to out-worship you. You set that bar. And so if, if, if you're staying within this little zone, uh, they're going to stay in that same zone too. Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of the movie Hitch, um, where uh, Will Smith is teaching, uh, forget his name, to how to dance appropriately in public. And show me your dance moves. And he's twirling all around. He's totally uncontrolled. And Will Smith slaps him and <laughs> says, I don't ever want to see that again. You stay right here right here. This is where you stay. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's, that's how we are with our worship is, hey, this is comfortable. This is safe. Let, let's stay right here. Let's stay within these lines. Uh, but God is calling us to something bigger and calling us beyond that. So we, we've got to step out in faith and let's see what he does. Let's see how he changes your worship. So guys, that is a challenge to you. And it's a big challenge because we don't think it's manly. Um, it, oftentimes we kind of see worship as a girly singing and it's a girly thing. It's not manly. Let me tell you, it's just the opposite. That is the most manly thing you can do. when You don't care what anybody else thinks. This is my God. This is my savior. He saved my life. I'm going to worship with all of my heart. Um, that is manly. So A.W. Tozer says, worship rises and falls in any church altogether, depending on the attitude we take toward God, whether we see God big or whether we see him little. And if there is no one terrible disease in the church of Christ, it is that we do not see God as great as he is. Now for me, Dave, when I think of how great God is, my mind always goes to when he parts the Red Sea so that Israel can walk across on dry ground. When we talk about not seeing God big enough, 
what are your thoughts on the church's view of God, even when it comes to worship and how big we see him? Yeah, I think it's a huge problem right now um, in society and churches have adopted it. Um, kind of the mentality of, well, who do you say God is? Um, and it, we're distorting who God is. We're, we're changing where truth comes from. Um, if we can't all agree that truth only comes from God, then at that point, we're going to be worshiping us. Um, so, yeah, it, it it's a huge problem and it creeps in slowly and quietly. Um, I, I remember years ago, um, might have been when I was in college, that we were seeing a trend in the, in the worship music um, to include a whole lot of self-focused songs, a lot of we, mm -hmm. me, I, us right. type of words. And we just started seeing that creep in. We're like, okay, these are good songs, but it needs to be balanced. Like that, that's, it's all focusing inward at, at us. Wait a second, we're worshiping God. So even that was within the Christian realm. It was creeping in and it's since flip-flopped and come back. And, um, but there's always that, that Satan's always trying to get a foothold. I mean, we know that um, right. any way possible. And if he can distort what truth is, um, and that is extremely dangerous. And, and if we're not seeing God for who he is, like he said, I mean, if we were in, in that moment and we're, we're pressed up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army's coming after us about to kill us. Right. I think we'd have a different perspective on, on who God is when we actually walk across on dry land. And I mean, it's been raining. It rained all day yesterday. I think we got three inches of rain. Our entire oh, backyard wow. was flooded. You walk out there yeah. now, it's still muddy. And here the, they were able to walk across on dry land. I mean, it's right. mind blowing. I mean, for me, the, 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 the spot I go is, is second Samuel. One of my favorite worship times is uh, Second Samuel, the ark has been taken. They haven't had it forever. They finally, right. they get it back. And uh, David's bringing it back. And they put it on this brand new cart. They got ox, you know, oxen driving the cart. And you would think, hey, that's a pretty sweet mode of transportation, right? And so uh, as they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, the very presence of God come across the threshing floor and it becomes unstable. The oxen stumbles and this poor dude, Uzzah, I'm not sure if that's how you say his name, but reaches out and grabs it. He's there. He's trying to help and steady it and keep the Ark of the Covenant from hitting the floor. And God's so mad at him, he strikes him down dead like that. Right. And I just imagine being there with the rest of those guys going, whoa. <laughs> and, and David, it says David was upset with God to the, to the point where they just, they threw the Ark of the Covenant in some dude's house for three months and just left it until they realized that that household, their, their socks are getting blessed off. Um, and David finally says, we need to get this thing back. They go back and get it. And this time they, they, they used the proper mode of transportation that God designed it for. It's got the rings on it. It's supposed to stick the poles through it. And then right. you get guys around it. They choose, I don't know how many guys it is four guys or eight guys, however many guys it is, they, he points out four guys and says, hey, you're in charge of carrying this. Now, if you're one of those guys that gets <laughs> picked for that, I'm going, no way. Uh, surely, I mean, right, look, right. Uh, Isaiah over here, he's been pumping iron. I've been seeing him doing CrossFit and flipping the millstones. Maybe him. He's a better <laughs> option, not me. I just saw Uzzah, my buddy, die uh, just by touching this thing. I don't want to come near it. And yet those guys, they lift it up and take six steps as, as far as they get before they fall to their knees and worship God. It's also where David went with his linen ephod and goes dancing crazy. Um, but man, if we had that type of perspective on God and who we are and how fragile we are and how powerful and, and beautiful God is, and our worship would look completely different completely different if we see that God has spared us. He doesn't have to. And yet that's right. true every single day. He's providing air for us to breathe. He, he is our everything. 
we don't see him as that, and our worship is small because of it. Yeah, I, 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 again, undignified. That always comes to my mind. Mm. I will dance. I will sing to be mad for my king. Mm. Nothing else is hindering. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's about is what are we willing to do? And for men, that's a big thing. Mm. What are they willing to give in their worship of God? What are they willing to sacrifice, mm. put aside? Well, I, I want to wrap up this episode and then again, join us in a couple of days as day, we're going to continue this on and we'll play the rest of it. But Frederick Robertson says this, and I want to end with this again. It is not a thing. A man can decide whether he will be a worshiper or not a worshiper. He must be. The only question is what will he worship? Every man worships. He is a born worshiper. We are going to worship. You're going to worship your sports team. You're going to worship your hobbies. Uh, whatever it is, you're going to worship something. The only thing, the only one worthy of that worship is God. He's the only one. And what we have to understand, men, is that we have a responsibility not only to worship ourselves, but to raise up our children to encourage our wife to be worshipers of God. And so that's a challenge that we have. And so I want to leave you with that challenge today is to make sure that you are leading the way in worshiping the right things, worshiping the right things. Don't get that worship out of priority. And remember this, Lucifer was the head of worship. <laughs> Before he was cast out of heaven, he was the head of worship. But then he began to think, well, why do we just worship God? What about me? He made worship about himself. And to this day, he still is battling to be worshiped. Do you know what God doesn't do is battle for our worship. We're the ones that lose when we fail to worship. And so, Dave, thank you very much for being with us for this episode. I look forward to us continuing uh, this talk in the area of worship. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's been fun. <laughs>